Hey everyone, this is Mark Burnett. I want to just take a moment to thank all of our supporters of Scandalabra. The listening support has been phenomenal and we love it. Also just want to remind you to follow us on Instagram at Scandalabra Podcast. Not only follow us and like us, but be sure to comment. We'd love to hear your feedback, especially about future episodes, things you'd like to hear on Scandalabra. There's also a donor link which will link you directly to Anchor, where you can support the cause. So many of you have by listening, and now it's time to be an even greater part of this movement. Scandalabra. Support us on Instagram at Scandalabra Podcast and as an official donor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scandalabra. I'm your host, Mark Burnett, and today we have a very special guest who I feel like we orbit in the same world. We both do a lot of traveling, consulting, speaking, keynoting, and it's nice to finally be at our own homes spending this time together. Her name is Jody Sievert. She's a sales expert, speaker, consultant, coach, um, residential interior designer, and what I say, the brainchild behind One by One. That's a lot of hats to wear, but Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great Absolutely. To be here. So, on that note, you do wear a lot of hats. Um, is that is that been like kind of an evolution of your career, or um, just all the different disciplines and areas you work? It probably has been an evolution with all the different uh, disciplines and such. And I just keep moving my path through the things that I like the most mm, to do smart. the most. And so it just, uh, and, and it tends to work because I think that when we gravitate to things that we like the most and we show some promise at, uh, good things happen. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to get uh, dispensed a lot of good pearls of wisdom here. So before we jump in deeper into all of that, mm -hmm. you know, we play this really fun game here called Two Truths and a Lie. Are uh -huh. you familiar with it? Yes. Okay. Well, good. Then you get to go first today because I just, for the record, have not been doing well. People oh. have literally been pulling the wool over my eyes. And so, um, so three stories on your end. And my job is to guess which one is the lie. So go ahead. Okay. I have never been to the Grand Canyon. Okay. I have never been to Disney World. Okay. And I've never been to the Louvre. Okay. I believe you've been to the Louvre. I, <laughs> I believe you've been to i'm gonna take a risk disneyland i say you haven't been to the grand canyon i've never been to disney or oh. or the grand canyon yeah. oh okay oh my gosh but you have been to the loop but i have been there right. yeah i yeah. got that one you got that one right yeah yeah and i've not been to the grand canyon so i share that with you um but i have been to disneyland i've been both disneyland and disney world um in fact there's a funny story i'll tell you just real quick i was in <laughs> disney world and they just opened the harry potter ride and you know how people are obsessed with it right so yes. everybody's running to this ride and i get on it i ride it i'm like that was pretty cool and then i remember posting on social media i think i was probably the only person on the planet who just got on the Harry Potter ride, who has never seen a Harry Potter movie. Don't, right. don't shoot me. But um, then I, then of course that prompted me to actually watch all the movies. And of course they're amazing. All right. So here are my uh, three stories. Okay. I put them in the world of like kind of what we do just to yes. make them applicable. Okay. Sure. Uh, the first one is I've only been on two cruises in my life. However, I've never paid for them because I was paid to speak. Yeah. And both of them coincidentally were through the Eastern Mediterranean. 
Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, and all that. So that's one. The second one is over the last three decades, I've either presented, keynoted, led seminars in all but six states in the United States. Okay. And the last one, funny story, uh, I was booked to present at the Bonaventura several years ago, and I borrowed a friend's car for the day, and uh, little did I know it was Cinco de Mayo. So as I was heading downtown Los Angeles, I literally got gridlocked in the celebration and ultimately fell asleep because it was really hot and I was stuck in my car. And then I remember being woken up by a, a gas station attendant shaking my car like, you're good to go, you're good to go. And I completely missed the event. And to this day, I'd never been to the Bonaventura. So you got the two cruises, the six states I haven't worked in or the Bonaventura story. The six states. God, you're good. See, I, why am I not good at this game? That's absolutely correct. So the truth of that story is I've actually never been to six states. New Mexico, North, South Dakota, let's see, Vermont, Rhode Island, and Delaware. But no, I've never presented at all those. So that would be like crazy. Um, all right, so you got me. That's great. Yeah, I love it. Well, they were so start. dramatic. The ones that were real were just, well, usually if you have too many details, it might not be the truth. But when uh, you, the way you link them all together and how the story had to be so for those things to come in where they came in. Yeah. Yeah. I laugh at the Bonaventura story. I mean, that, that was just oh my a gosh. total my disaster. God. They were, they were calling me. They were, where are you? What's going on? Like, <laughs> I was like passed out anyway. And, um, all right, so let's jump in. So, yes. um, so I was talking earlier as I introed you about orbiting world, where did we meet? Do you remember like what yeah, city we, we did. were in? We met at, it was an association that we were both working with. Okay. And Kavanaugh was her name, Kathleen Kavanaugh. Okay. And she was the, she was the, she rounded people up. She was the one you. that put us together. Oh, okay. Do you remember what city it was in? Was it in New Hampshire? No. Boston? She lived in New Hampshire, oh, but okay. we met somewhere. Somewhere else. Else at an event. And we both spoke at the event. Ah, Yeah. Isn't it funny how, like, it reminds me of Clean House, you know, the show I was on. I, I yes. remembered every family's name up to 100 episodes. And then after that, it was a blur. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't remember. Uh, you know, I only have so many memory cells, I think, in my life, in my brain. I think that is true. I was very good at remembering names when I would do, and it was when I would do larger groups of people. And yeah. I was working, I was doing, I had a gig with Thomasville at the time, and I would travel around the country and speak to their um, their retailers and the salespeople and sales managers and stuff. And I would I was really proud of remembering their names, but I couldn't I could not do that now. No, I, I think there's just a point when, you know, we have to play our best cards and that might not be our best. <laughs> and that's card. not one of them. Or, or exactly. maybe it's when I hit 50. I don't know. That's me. That's my, you know, excuse. Well, yeah. Whatever. yeah, that's kind of a turning point for a lot of things. <laughs> so you mentioned Thomasville. Um, yes. I was looking at all the other companies, Henredon, gosh, Kravit, Waterworks, one of my favorite bath fixture stores here in LA. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what's it like working with these companies? I mean, you know, is it, uh, you know, obviously it adds cachet and I'm sure you add incredible mm -hmm. cachet to them. So yes. what's that synergy like? Well, it, it's interesting. Not surprisingly, some of it depends on leadership mm -hmm. and what the what leadership and sort of uh, tiers below leadership 
want to accomplish as a result of me being there Mm -hmm. and how they're going to measure whether that happens or not. And then usually the success of that engagement is based on how realistic their their intentions and outcomes are Mm -hmm. and how involved they are in whatever we put together in being cheerleaders and supporters and encouraging and checking in to see how that's actually working and making it become part of the culture. Mm -hmm. Because when they do that, it works. When they have a come in and fix them kind of an approach at the other end of the spectrum, it doesn't usually work. And I don't usually take those anymore because I don't, people who really want to improve to do better to, and want to do better and try to do better when there are sort of clamp downs above them with leadership Mm. that that it's just probably not going to change and improve. Gotcha. So I steer, I stay away from those now. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you have the luxury of doing that. Um, but you just hit so many notes here. I got to break this down for myself. Okay. People yeah. listening. Um, first of all, let's start from square one. Okay. okay. So tell us just in simple terms what you do and, and who you do it for. Okay. I work with mm-hmm. home furnishings and interior design sales professionals okay. to help them sell more and make more money. Gotcha. Okay. So obviously I'm clearly interested in the interior design angle, but mm-hmm. the reality is they all are kind of in a similar world. Whether yes. Mm-hmm. Manufacturing, you know, mm-hmm. um, clearly I work in the design space. So I think to mm-hmm. your point, whether it's a company that supplies or sells or whether mm-hmm. I'm providing a service. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of notes to hit here and obviously a lot to learn. So let's just break it down in simple terms again. So yes. tell me about an interior design client. So let's say I I come to you, Mark Burnett's yes. Interior Design. I've been in business 20 plus years. We just celebrated 20 years. And, you know, let's say I've hit the wall or, or I'm not really lost my passion, but mm-hmm. things aren't just going well, you know, right. and I need to reinvigorate my life and my team and my staff. And, and I know that comes, as you just said, from the top down. So yes. I'm committed. I'm the leader. I'm on board. Take us a little bit through your process. Where do we start? Excellent. So it's it's usually everything that you said is all valuable. And I would say, well, there's a reason you called me. So what do you think the reason is? Mm. And then we start to work from that place, either backwards or forward to what you want to achieve and you don't see how it's going to happen based on what the current reality is or sideways if you're expanding let's say that you're opening a second office in another city Mm -hmm. so it depends on really where the agita is coming from and then we'll work from there and it's it's funny that in working with designers designers i tend to have the most variety of situations okay because there may be designers that are just getting started and establishing their business practice and they want to understand how to do elements of it and there are some great people that can tell them how to set up like what what's the best design management system to use and what's the best accounting system to use and that those people are great at that but what i do is i help them to look at how are you structuring your organization to actually get and close business Wow. Um, Very succinct. You know, what I love that that you're saying already uh is that you've married the intention with a very specific measurable results. Yes. And that's, that's kind of rare because it seems like, you know, I I work in the world of marketing and cause marketing and have 
brought a lot of business initiatives to the table. Right. Um, but without those kind of measures, right? right? How do you know yeah. whether it's successful? Well, it's uh, exactly. And so in working with anyone, mm -hmm. that's one of my, one of my early on questions that usually is in a phone screen. And I'll, you know, I, I think as designers probably need to have a, a phone screen, they need to have an intake form, they need to have an explanation of services and a way mm -hmm. to show them without having to dip in and actually produce something themselves in order to show what they do and, and how they charge for it. It's very simple. And if we know what the outcomes are, what I find most people, and that is whether it's trade showrooms or retail showrooms or associations or whatever, that my question always is, if you're not achieving the results that you're looking to achieve, tell me what systems you have in place and how you're executing those. Because quite often people go down the, there's something wrong with me road when actually they have an insufficient system in place to produce the results they desire or they're not using it. Wow. Okay. First of all, <laughs> you just let me off the emotional hook because, oh, because let me just say and jump in, you know, I guess as a designer in many cases, I think it's a very personal relationship with my clients. I, I absolutely distinguish that it, it is really professional. Yes. But the reality is for me, and I don't know if you find this in your work and or with your um, clients mm -hmm. that you work with, that line's been blurred a lot. <laughs> so, and not only has it been blurred in an outward sense, it's been blurred in an inward sense, you know, mm -hmm. and to your mm -hmm. point, if I'm not getting the results, I don't want to say failing, but, you know, not getting the results I want or desire what's wrong with me. I, I relate to that. I get that, you mm -hmm. know, and I would imagine a lot of people would, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, and then they, then they question themselves. Then it be, then they go down the rabbit hole. It's like, well, am I really doing what I want? Should I really be doing this? And, but I love that you're pointing to, it might just be the systems or structure. With my consultant hat on, that's mm -hmm. always the place I look at first mm -hmm. is that if someone says, we're not getting what I'm not getting what I'm looking for. It's like, well, what are you looking for? How are you measuring it? And how are you trying to get it now? Mm -hmm. Because it's just so it's objective and simple. And one of the things that people will do what what you're talking about with the rabbit hole, which mm -hmm. is that there's something wrong with me, that internal, there's something wrong with me, or they have the external um, customers are jerks and they're, they weren't like mm. this before. And it's hard with, they go down that risk, but it's, but neither of them are going to do any good unless you, your intention is to be miserable. And so, <laughs> right. Which is a very successful thing to do. It is, it is. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the only thing is to like to stop, like er, put the brakes on and yeah. just say, wait a second, let's just assess what's happening here. Mm. Cause one of the things that happens that is, is, the relationship to all of that stuff, the relationship to really self-reflection, the relationship to assessment, the relationship to failure, the relationship to discomfort, all of that stuff impacts our ability to really get real about what's so, not as a good or bad thing, maybe as a what's missing thing, but definitely not as a good or bad or right, wrong. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a culture that is devoid of good, bad, right, wrong. Right. And so it's hard. We have to take a couple of steps up and look over the railing and say, what is really happening? Because I can't change anything, modify anything unless I can really be 
be honest about what's really happening without blaming anything. We can say, and this goes back to like Stephen Covey in the seven habits of highly effective people use the word effective and he only means produce the desired result. And that's all it means is, is it effective? Did it work? Mm. And if it didn't, if it's not effective or it didn't work, there are only so many places to go, but let's go to systems first because if the system is insufficient or if you're driving more volume, let's say through a system that has been working, but the volume increased in like in the last two years that designers and retailers and trade showrooms have been drinking through a fire hose. Right. Most of them have blown their systems out, mm. which is why that we have people canceling and why we have all sorts of upset because they don't have a system in place, for instance, that requires an awful lot of follow-up and hand-holding to comfort people and say, I know it's a long time and I know it's still coming. Nothing's changed. If it does, I'll get back to you mm -hmm. and use technology to do that. So th there's a lot of stuff in that, what I just said, I'm sure. But. <laughs> there is. <laughs> I just got to unpack it all. So, yeah. um, okay. So first of all, just I'll do a little sidebar. My mom used to say to me when I was little, just tell me the truth. It's much easier to deal with. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I hear a little bit of that, yes. you know, which is like just the facts, you know, that's all we need to like just know right now. Yeah. Right. So that's really great. And I think that's important because look at, you know, I'll be the first to say I'm a human being. <laughs> I, I, I have a tendency to wrap emotion into a lot of things, but don't we all do that? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Your mother's advice was excellent because there's no suffering in facts. There's mm -hmm. suffering in the interpretation of facts. Sure. Got it. So when we start adding and loading stuff onto it, like that, that, Something so something is delayed. Oh my god, my they're gonna be so mad at me. I know that I, I missed doing something last time, and they're gonna that's where it all gets awful mm. is when where we go with it. But the facts are it's gonna be two weeks late. That's right. the fact of it. And, and what you're speaking to and for everybody listening is you know, obviously production delays or shipping delays or anything that's really going on right now and happens frequently in our business. Correct. And oftentimes we'll order something for a client. There'll be an estimated delivery date. And next thing you know, that keeps getting pushed two weeks, four weeks. And uh, it's very common. And I think to your point that we take that on as a burden and a responsibility. Well, responsibility is not the right word because I'm definitely accountable and responsible, but right. it's more like a, a, an emotional cloak you know and like now you know and all of a sudden i'm no longer communicating truthfully you know right. and or i would imagine people are as well I'm, I'm gonna... or to, in a timely fashion and right. that's, those are the kind of things we start to avoid which adds insult to injury right and, and to look at how is your organization your business structured to manage difficulty and when things go wrong mm -hmm. because if you have those things in place all you do is you execute them when things go wrong but if you're operating as if nothing's ever going to go wrong which is what a lot of people do mm -hmm. because they don't put things in place for when they do then when they do the wheels can fall off the wagon quickly with each client and each difficulty because there's nothing in place to expect and handle them when they do Right. It's not a negative thing. It's a it's a realistic thing. A realistic. And it's more realistic than ever now. Yes. Um, exactly. You remind me now of two things, one of which is, you know, on Clean House, every Monday I, I did the same thing for almost nine years, which was right. 
breakdown after breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. Yeah, everything just seemed. I don't know why. And you know, and I, probably if I looked back now, I would have put a different, especially after listening to you, mm -hmm. um, put a different system or structure into place. I I did it my all I could to build out an art department to prevent these things. But the reality is, it just seemed like because we were in someone's house, you know, right. any as you know, any kind of remodeling brings on discovery, new items, unplanned right. things. Um, and we got through it. So I, I would say much to our credit and success, like, you know, we handled it and we revealed every Tuesday morning, never delayed, never late. Mm -hmm. so it reminds me a little bit of that, but it also reminds me of contracts that interior designers have with their clients. Right. Um, mine has really evolved over the years Good. and where it's evolved to is exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's the additions over the years have been put in place to cover and or know how when it doesn't go right. And I always say that a legal contract is really rarely ever about when all things are great and going the right thing. It, <laughs> the correct. contract is in place to what's going to happen when it doesn't go that way, right? That's right. Yeah, so a lot comes to mind there. And that's just really a lesson to any, I would say, artist or creative out there. You think, oh, here are my deliverables. Here's how much I'm going to get paid. Here's a timeline. But like, what happens when that doesn't happen? What would be your advice on that? Like, just really think that through or what? Well, I think to 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 use your example, mm -hmm. and again, if when we, I, I like to just say, take the stairs. When you take the stairs to give you a larger perspective, just mm -hmm. get up and look over whatever's been happening. When you look at something that that repeatedly comes up, there's something systemic that's not in place to keep that from happening or that allows it to happen. It's like the trickle down aspect of it that when it doesn't get addressed, it just leaks all over everything that comes after it because mm -hmm. it just upsets things a bit. So I think that where can you do a debrief after every project, like look at what you made, where were we profitable? Where could we have done better? Where could we have cut costs? What were the surprises we didn't know? What were opportunities we didn't take advantage of? I really wonder if most designers debrief and say, what can we learn from this so that we can improve our processes moving forward? I'm willing to say most don't. Don't. That speaks to, I think, a weakness for many designers, which is not all of, of course, but for, for designers that don't believe that you can be organized and creative at the same time. Mm, which is a big thing. <laughs> which is a big thing. Yeah. And it's a, but it's, it's a, it's a myth. It's untrue. Mm. And it's a disempowering limiting belief mm. as Tony I, Robbins would say, mm -hmm. it is that right. Because it allows you to excuse behavior that is costing you something. Mm. It's costing you peace of mind. It's costing you profitability. It might be costing you clients. It might be costing you referral business. It's costing you time. Yeah. Right. And so, so why not just take a look at it and see what if you built that in with your team that when things finally close, the last check finally gets cashed, mm -hmm. why not debrief with your client and say, just so that I can improve things moving forward, what could we have done better that you would have enjoyed? What did, what did we miss that you expected, but you never told me? Mm -hmm. Like, how, Imagine what that conversation would be like. It's amazing. Um, you know, one of the things I've done, and I imagine a lot of designers do, is we ask for not really testimonials, but kind of feedback. Okay, project's done. What do you have to say about it? 
is it, you know, anything and everything you want to say. Most people, I think, are kind of like, oh, he wants me to say something really good. Rarely does anybody say anything that's, you know, I'll just say negative, but the reality is uh, it's all positive. Um, I did have a client once tell me that mm -hmm. I, I had many systematic failures. <laughs> I thought that was just such an interesting quote. That's I, a nice thing, actually. I, to say about, I about know. You. That's that's what I realized. First of all, I find sometimes that my clients, and a lot of them are very accomplished. Many yeah. own their own businesses, have done extremely well. They want to map on how they do business onto how I do business. Mm -hmm. What right. advice would you give in that situation? Well, I think that the the if you have a process that has become a tried and true process, that mm -hmm. it speaks to what you said earlier about things that evolve, like your contract evolves over time, mm -hmm. your best business practices evolve over time, the climate and the client changes over time, and that should impact how we structure our business. And I think that when you, especially if it's in writing, mm -hmm. if you really spell out, this is how we work mm -hmm. in a way that's not only repeated in your contract, it might have, you might have evidence of it on your website. The more you articulate and are living, breathing evidence of having a process in place, the more people won't, won't try to mess with you. Mm, great and a point. lot of it is they just, because they think, you know, this guy's got, he's got it down. Like if I'm going to work with him, I got to go with his and they might try. And you can say, I mean, this goes, this speaks to another area that, that I probably do a lot of work with designers on, which is having straight conversations. And, mm -hmm. and to say, you know, I completely appreciate the process that you use to get you where you are. Mine is a different business and I have a different process. Are you able to work with mine, even if it kind of bothers you a bit? Can mm -hmm. you do that? And if you can't get a yes, you might want to think about it. Yeah, um, I've had a, several designers on even this podcast and we've talked about them letting clients go you know, just ending the relationship. They've had to course correct and ultimately realize that for whatever reason, not a good fit. Um, right. And so it's interesting you say that. Um, so when you talk about straight communication, say more about yeah. that. Well, you know, I think that culturally, we're a funny kind of culture that people have so few straight conversations. I don't mean yelling and calling people names, but straight, honest conversations that when you have them, the other person might find them aggressive, but they're not, they're just straight. And I think that when we, another Covey thing, but I think you got it from St. Francis was seek first to understand, then to be understood. Mm. That if we really ask, let's say a client, like really say, give me your deepest, darkest, tell me what you're really looking for. Tell me what your concerns are. Tell me what you've already tried. Who have you worked with before? What were the nightmares about that? Mm -hmm. If we really go into exploring a new opportunity and ask a lot of questions because I'm going to quote someone else. As Sharon Drew Morgan said, the person who's asking the questions is the person who's controlling the conversation. Mm. So if you ask and you know that that's your, that's your way is to ask a lot of questions to really find out, do I want to work with this person and have a marketing plan and program in place that's strong enough that you don't have to take jobs you don't want to take because you need the money. Right. That's, I think, where people get caught. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have a marketing plan going. They drop their marketing actions other than maybe just social media. They drop them when they get busy. And so when they when things start to slow down, 
they start to get nervous and they mm -hmm. take projects that they probably that really don't align with their core beliefs or they don't align personality wise or aesthetically or something. It's probably not a good fit. But mm -hmm. if you had that objectivity because you have a marketing plan in place, you have an intake uh, structure in place, you have a clear articulation of who you are, what you do and how you do it and what it costs, then some of that stuff doesn't get caught up in the sausage that becomes those relationships. Right. Now you talk about core beliefs and you talk and everything you're talking about, obviously very important to write all this down, right? Yes. Have it documented. Yes. Yeah. So that you can share it with your team and have it be part of, you know, the, like, I guess I don't want to say core competency, but part the business. It's what is what it, the business is. Correct. Exactly. And that's the kind of stuff that, I think you should put on your website and you mm. put the language on your website as you define who you are so that let's say people are searching and they're using words that resonate for them and they land on your website. And now they're looking for evidence that those words exist in the design and execution of the projects. Mm -hmm. So imagine that. Yeah, that I love that. Right. I mean, well, I, 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 you know, it's not just about pretty pictures. I don't think that most designers use their website as a way of um, participating in the buying process on the part of the prospective client. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with you. And right? I agree with you from my standpoint, because yeah. what I'm hearing in what you're saying are, gosh, are so many things, but the first of which is, um, so I agree with you. Design is not about pretty pictures. And I've gone on and on about that. Right. You know, that's just not what we do. And in fact, I'll take a, 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 a big turn here and say it's really about transforming people and not space. But we'll, that's for another podcast episode. <laughs> um, but, uh, but on that note, um, so I agree with you. But the interesting thing is how, I guess I'm going to ask a naive question. Okay. How do you... Let me, gosh, I got to think about this question. This is great. You have me thinking. Um, mm -hmm. How do you, well, when you articulate what you want to say on your website, that mm -hmm. says your core beliefs, what you stand for, your ideology and how you right. operate and mm -hmm. all that, the framework of your business and your life, if you will. Mm -hmm. it, I, is it the assumption that it's just going to attract the right people? Yes, it's, it is. And, and I think some of it is what's the evidence of it. So one of the things that I rarely see, but Glenn Gisler in New York is a friend of mine and Glenn mm -hmm. often posts on Facebook and on Instagram, he posts before and after photos of his projects. Mm -hmm. And he, he has such a lovely aesthetic, you know? And so I love to see people put that on their website. Mm -hmm. If you look at your website as a step in the process for people who are looking and who want to be able to sort through the options out there in order to pick someone that resonates for them. So imagine that you have on your website, you have before and after photos, you have sort of a scope of project of what, what the challenges were. You have a testimonial on the part of the client, but it's a testimonial for what they really wanted to have happen. What were some of the surprises that, I think that when we ask for testimonials from people, we need to tell them what, not what we want them to say in a good way, but what we want them to say that's going to help someone who's reading it, who's mm -hmm. going to, who's reading it to look at, 
why would I want to work with this designer? What is this client saying about them that would matter to me Hmm. and my project? So imagine if we looked at websites a little bit differently as a sales tool instead of as a marketing tool only. Mm, great. And and just distinguish that for me. I'm, I'm hearing you, but distinction between sales and marketing. So marketing is to get yourself visible and in front of someone mm-hmm. that you want to work with in front of your target audience. Selling is actually an engagement with a prospect who wants to buy what you have to sell. And walking them through your sales process to a close, understanding that they have their own personal buying process. And there's a larger buying process that people who are looking for your product and services also engage in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think the key word there for me is uh, sales is bringing it to a close. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's something that I think we all, and I said, it's a collective we here. Um, I think we as designers intend, want, wish, dream, hope, a lot of, a lot of unpowerful words there, (laughs) but um, well, intention, I I like that one, but uh, you get my point. Um, But yet, why don't we just straight talk about it is what you're saying. Because I don't, I think that what happens and I, and I fault design schools for this, and I'm actually working with my local UMass Dartmouth College of Visual and Performing Arts with their interior uh, architecture and design Mm -hmm. school to work with the realities of selling. Because I think what happens in design schools is there's this, you don't want to just be a furniture salesperson. Mm. It's just like, oh my God. However, when I do... CEUs for designers and they're, and it's always about selling or profitability, or it's always a business structure. It's not about aesthetics. They don't need that. They, they, they need what, what I got. So, Mm -hmm. and to their credit, the thing about designers is that there are, there are shortcomings that, that a lot of them have that they just haven't put in place like that, that, that the profitability structure so that they can actually make money and go into a project, knowing what they expect to make and hope to, you know, still salvage if things get rough, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as to have a real process that's a sales process and that they that they they can understand and execute and be good at with the intention of closing it and to not do what a lot of them do, which is and I find this even more so with kitchen and bath designers, is that um, giving information, especially talent and design, giving things away sort of hoping to bait the hook to get the sale. It's like, yeah, but that's not how you do it. Right. I, I, that's so not how I, you do it. I'm hearing, what I'm hearing is like delivery or installation costs or mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. And and so there's a CEU that I have called Profitable, Profitable Projects, I think it's called. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's, I go through... The difference, honestly, the difference between margin and markup, I, I go through really simple things that impact profitability. Mm-hmm. And then I have an exercise and it's up on a screen and it's this exercise. And it says the budget for a new primary bedroom suite is $750,000, including construction. Mm-hmm. The contractor is going to get 10%. And I go and I list what the scope of project is for the designer. I I list that. Mm -hmm. And I say, 
where's the, how much money do you have to work with? And can you be profitable on this project? I love, love this, this exercise. Right? <laughs> what, what kind of responses do you get? Oh my God. It's like, I would say at least 50% say, how am I supposed to know how much money I'm going to make? Oh my like, goodness. I wasn't expecting that. Oh my God. No, I know. And it's so I think I just showed up just in time. Yeah. You know, so I think, <laughs> and I, I say, well, well, let's just, let's just do the math and you can right. do the math on this. So how much is there to start? And then I start walking them through subtracting things out mm -hmm. to see what's left. So let's say they're left with, well, I think the number's like 300,000 or something mm -hmm. like that. And I say, all right, the 300,000 is what you have access to. How much do you need to make on this job, knowing what the scope of project is for you to know whether it's worth your time? Well, how am I supposed to know that, Jody? It's like, well, because you need to know what your profitability is on mm -hmm. projects. How much do you need to know? How much do you need to make on this project for it to be worth your time? And it is a it is a bitch of an answer. Yeah, that. right. And I bet it's across the board. People really don't. It is. Like, what it, what it, what are most people saying? Like 10 percent, 20, 30, 40? Or well, they go down the they go down the blurred road of, well, it depends if I'm going to do a flat fee or mm -hmm. it depends if I'm going to do cost plus. It's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how, right. you, get how you get there. It right. matters how you establish what your profitability is. Do you want to walk away with 30 percent? I'll never forget that I saw Windsor Smith, and this goes back, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. I saw Windsor Smith at a Kravit event, and she was just so generous, right? And she was so beautiful, and she had these great, this great rug collection she had just started with Kravit. She was just a gem. And she said, I don't do a project for less than 30%. I need to walk away with 30%. So if it's a million-dollar project, I know I'm going to get 300,000. Now I may of that, I'm going to have how much I get. I'm going to have what goes to my team. I'm going to have, so, but that is what I'm going to get. It's mm -hmm. going to be my design fee. It's going to be, you know, my execution facilitation. It's like, I need to know what I'm going to get out of it before I even take it on, but they need to know too. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh, she is so clear about mm -hmm. that. And that number can go up to 50% for, you know, high celeb designers. Right. So I love that. Yeah, I love that clarity. Um, and also, it sounds to me like what you're really pointing to is communication. Yes. Right? I mean, yep. it, does, it, it, doesn't everything get handled and resolved and forwarded in communication? Everything can be handled in communication. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you'll be proud of me, Jody. I, uh, for the last four years, one of the first people I employed was um, a communications director. So oh someone, that was their title. That literally was their title, just to communicate with all vendors, clients, and they were the key liaison to anything and everything that was going on. So specifically tasked with that job. And I think every company should have a communications wow. director. Wouldn't you agree? I love that so much. Oh, thank you. Um, well, anyway, um, you know, the other thing you're talking about, Jody, that I I'm starting to hear, and I think as a designer and I guess many people in the service industry, we say is we're therapists. I don't want to go into therapy, but to what extent are you dealing in your process with working with, let's say, designers in this case, yeah. uh, those internal barriers, you know, those beliefs and how they see themselves, because that's all really personal, right? When I talk to someone, they're stuck somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
And so if we can identify where they're stuck, and it's usually where, where are you not producing a result that you think you should be? And then to start working backwards from there to see where it may, where it may show up. So I think the Dalai Lama said, how we do anything is how we do everything. Mm. So <laughs> it's rare that whatever's going on in their business mm-hmm. doesn't have some other version elsewhere. So it's sure. not usually a new thing, right. but they just haven't found their way through it. Either they they grew to tolerate it. They made themselves wrong about it. They, you know, that they, I don't know, they just avoided it and ignored it. And But it keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. And so really to just look at that and, and do you want it to go on like this forever? And if you want a breakthrough in this, um, let's start changing some habits. And, and I, you know, as someone who, who helps people with performance, some people are going to come at it because you can change their thinking. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to change their thinking because their behavior has changed. So I don't really care which way they go. I just want him to get on, you know, get on board and let's try to figure it out. And as someone who does my very best to not make people wrong about stuff, because that is how I'm wired, mm-hmm. even though it's, I say that in front of God and everyone right now, but, sure, but, um, your, but your awareness is so, but I, when I see that happening, it's like, Jody, you're like, you got to knock it off because there's something going on with you that you're triggered about. So you can't even start to talk about theirs uh, until you get yours together. Like, yeah, just yeah. stop. Good point. Well, you, I, Again, so many things to unpack. Um, yes, this idea that life is holographic, you know, it's pervasive. Whatever we do here is likely happening somewhere else. Um, right. But also something else you said that I really like is, and I've, you know, slowly learned this in my life, is that <laughs> as things reoccur for me, clearly it's something that still needs to be resolved. Otherwise it wouldn't keep reoccurring. Right. Well, and the good thing about that is it's like, all right, I learned part of that lesson. Mm -hmm. I don't have to learn the whole thing, Yeah. but here's another piece that just wasn't distinguished as part of that, but now I see it is right. So it's kind of like, you know, dating someone that's a lot like the last one and then kind of like the last one and then not as much like the last one. It doesn't, it's just, you're getting further away from it because you're getting, you're getting a handle on it. I like that. I like that you said that again, I, I love to be let off the hook in a good way. And so um, what I hear is cause you know, history does have a tendency to repeat itself unless we do something about it. And I would agree with you. Life and our experiences are kind of like peeling the layers of an onion. You know, we just keep peeling it and getting better and understanding and distinguishing. Yes. And, you know, uh, cause in my mind, for some reason, I think you get to the top of the mountain and it's all handled and it's over with. But I think the reality is it's okay. One door, closes one door opens kind of thing right. what's next so well let me right. ask you um yes. talk a little bit about blind spots and i love this because i've referenced this a lot in my work in life but um tell us more about that what's a, what's a blind spot how do you distinguish it with a client and how do you move forward well a blind spot is exactly what it sounds like you mm-hmm. know which is that it's something that we can't see Mm-hmm. Right. We can't see. And if we, based on some of the things we've said before, if we um, can start to review things and take a look and see what happened and, and reflect and assess, then it's likely that we're going to start noticing some things. But with a blind spot, 
um, I mean, I, I do work with an organization that we're always looking at blind spots. And so uh, when you distinguish them and find that that's happening, you take the power out of it to either keep happening again or to have the same kind of power that it's had in the past. Mm-hmm. So either asks if you have people in your life that you trust to tell you the truth, not just to tell you what you want to hear, to say this is coming up and uh, there's something I'm not noticing. Do you, can you see where what's contributing to it? What I might not know that I need to know that might be really helpful. But I think the whole thing about reassessing um, on a regular basis, which goes back to, you know, a development being in an active development process as mm-hmm. there's no top of the mountain. There's just, they, we just keep right. going. Right. Right. And, and knowing that discomfort and, um, and uh, reassessment and reevaluation is just going to keep coming up as part of it. And it gets yeah. less uncomfortable when you see that, um, when you see that discomfort being part of the process is a, is a signal that you're actually in action and active in the learning process mm. and the discomfort, no one's ever died from discomfort. Right. So when you just identify it as well, that's uncomfortable. That's supposed to happen as I work on this. Right. Then you think, okay. I must be learning something because this feels horrible right now. <laughs> I, I just love you. Um, you know, I just feel, I feel so good talking to you. I have to tell oh, you that. Oh, honey, same here. Thank you. Um, because it just, um, and again, not that I want to be let off the hook. I just want to be reminded. Maybe that's a better word. Um, reminded yeah. that we're all on the path we need to be on. We're all in the perfect place. Um, and there's so much opportunity and possibilities around who we are and how we express ourselves, especially as designers and artists. And, you know, even with this podcast, right. the goal, the intention was very clear to just share untold stories in the world of design and have yeah. it positively or just really empower and inspire people. So uh, you really are just hitting the nail on the head. So I, I very much appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you as well, Mark, having, having this kind of a venue for people to, listen and learn, because that is one thing that I give designers a lot of credit for is that um, they know what they don't know. They know what they're not good at Mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, they, they are looking for it because if things, if, if things don't improve, there's an immediate impact on their lives. Mm -hmm. They don't have a base salary plus plus. Right. If things aren't working, they know quickly that they're not working. And so I give them, I, you know, I'm so glad that you're doing this to help them with their business. It's so generous of you to bring people like me in who can, who can have a perspective that might be the, oh my gosh, that I, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's mm-hmm. really going to help somebody. That is what will happen. So I love that. So let me ask you, Jody, what, yes. what would you say? is the biggest mistake interior designers make it like keep it simple and brief in a nutshell what's the biggest mistake they make not structuring their business as a business Mm, yeah is it that non-linear artist thing that they Mm -hmm. fall into yeah Mm -hmm. yeah oh i got goosebumps over that that's a lesson i've been well i i feel like i started learning it you know 10 20 years ago but i 
constantly and being refreshed and re-inspired to remember that, you know, my art is my art and the business is the business and together they, they can thrive. Um, so I love that. Or have, or get a business partner. Like, yeah. you know, there, if you can do what you're good at and have somebody mm-hmm. do what you're not, and I don't mean you, you, but to mm-hmm. what you're not good at, let them, if they're great business people, let them run the business end of it and do the stuff that you want to do. I love that. Gosh, yes. I love that too. Um, so, you know, I've been following you on Instagram, obviously for a long time, as well, as long as you've been on Instagram and, um, <laughs> and when we met, but you talk a lot about gratitude. So let's say, let's yes. talk more about that because I, um, you know, uh, well, anyway, yeah. Gratitude in our work. Cause I, there's so much to be said about personal gratitude and so much has been written. And I know a lot of research has been done recently, which I've been reading, which is fascinating because I don't know if you know, but you know, I'm a biology undergrad and physiology and masters. No. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, um, in line with, um, this idea of how we live our lives, how we see the world and all that, and how it's, um, how our body interacts with it on a physiological yes. level. And gratitude for me is just one of those areas that has so much depth, but talk about how it's so important for you and in your work and with the clients that you work with. Wow. Um, it's like a superpower, mm-hmm. but that's not the reason for it. So I think that gratitude begets so much that being grateful for everything. I think I wrote a blog recently that said it's easy to be grateful for a good parking space, but it's, it's not as easy to be grateful for a traffic jam. You know, that, you know, it's, it's that same that it's, that it's some gratitude, even just to get the practice started of being grateful for the things that are easy or being grateful when you wake up in the morning or being grateful you know, as you run through the things that you learned today or the mistakes you made that you learned from or, or whatever it is to make, to make gratitude a partner, like right beside you side by side that it, and it's a practice like yoga or meditation or any other practice that the more that you create it and look for it and generate it, the more that it comes. And, and I just find that gratitude begets great things. Mm-hmm. that there's a generosity be- to being grateful and it's probably my favorite quality that mm-hmm. and generosity but the being grateful and and um I know that with showroom salespeople that's one of the things that we talk about as you need to greet people with gratitude your gratitude needs to show through mm-hmm. before anything else does that you're grateful that they walked in just be grateful and let the rest come I know it's been said that it's, I think it's, it's not a joy that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. Exactly. And, um, you know, just from a scientific standpoint, one of the things that I've been reading about recently around gratitude is that there's so much more available for the person receiving the gratitude. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really amazing because mm-hmm. oftentimes we do focus on being grateful, giving it, which has incredible merits and benefits. Um, but there's another side of it. And I think when you're on the receiving end of gratitude, doesn't it make you feel good? It does. Yeah. And yet, and yet look at the, re- look at how people deflect it. I know. But thank you so much for doing that. Oh, it was nothing. Yeah. I hate that. I hate, or, or, can I tell oh, you, no latest, problem. can I tell, there you go. You hit it on the head. That's the latest thing I absolutely oh. not like. 
I, I, I swear to God, it's a younger generation thing. It's okay. I work with a lot of young people, but when they say no problem, I'm no like, problem. well, when was it a problem? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just me. I'm being stupid. I'm sure. No, it isn't. It is. It's really that it, it deflects someone's uh, articulation of gratitude. They're really sharing something that actually meant something that they so appreciated something you did, you didn't have to do it, or even if you did have to do it, the fact that you did it matters to them. And to be able to say that, that really made a difference. And I know that some people, it may be a small thing to someone, but you don't know what the other person is experiencing and how their day is gone. And it was the one, one little gift they had today in a day that didn't have a lot of them. Oh, that's so important. You have to understand how people are going to receive it or at least be aware, you know, right. It's, it, right. you're right. People are, in, especially with everything we've been through over the past couple of years, you know, everybody's in a different place or, and, or you never know where people are. So exactly. we have to you be, never know. Yeah. Right. We have to be so mindful of that. So Jody, as we wrap things up here, I have a couple key questions for you that I'm just dying to know. Okay. What would you say is your biggest brag? My biggest brag. Yeah. Biggest brag, most proud of, just a, mo a sterling moment in the Jody Siebert history of you being on the planet. Wow. Um, I had a situation in 2009. I had, um, I broke up in the relationship that I was in. My mm -hmm. father died and my bookkeeper stole $40,000 from me. Okay. And I lived to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. It all happened in in the in a month. Yeah, well, right. good for you. Thanks. And uh, clearly, you learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What about your? I I use the word loosely, but what about your biggest failure, biggest upset? Does it, the, the does that fall in the same category, or is it? Something um, I think different? that I think that I there there was probably um, there was a project that I did with a major manufacturer, and it was a turnaround project. And I, and I knew I didn't know as much as I wanted to know to have that be a really effective project. Mm -hmm. And it was effective on a lot of different levels. And I, I engaged in a leadership program concurrently so that I could learn more about the leadership that I thought was necessary in that, in that, to be effective in that project. And there were things that I missed from it. I, in, in putting the agreement together, there were some areas that um, I, that we set up that in retrospect, I wouldn't have done because I couldn't control them. Gotcha. And that was probably the biggest, that was the biggest failure. It still worked out okay, mm -hmm. but it could have been better. And I could have made more money sure. if I had structured it differently. So that was a, that was a big learn. All right. So my last famous question, what would the Jody of today tell the Jody of younger years? Don't sweat it. <laughs> there you go. Jody, you've been awesome. So inspiring. Oh, uh, my, there's a reason you. our paths crossed. And, Seriously, and right? here they are. They've crossed again. again, which is absolutely lovely. Thank you for your time. I know a lot of people will be wondering, how did they get a hold of you? We will share all that in our show notes. I appreciate you and have a thank wonderful, you. wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. This has been an MBU production. To learn more, go to markburnett's.com. That's M-A-R-K-B-R-U-N-E-T-Z.com.